When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to another edition of the Michael Deacon program. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Oh, yes, live and direct right now. Heard around the world. Oh, it's true. My guest this evening needs no introduction. The one and only Jim Fetzer. Thank you once again. Here we are live and direct in the flesh. Let me bring in Jim now. Jim, what's going on? Hey, 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 Michael, there's so much. It's so exciting. I'm so fascinated. We had this young, freshman, Muslim congresswoman. Oh, my. Challenge <laughs> APAC. I mean, and she beat them hands down. It's absolutely stunning. When Nancy Pelosi called off the vote after progressives had come to her defense, they had to water it down. They had to broaden it instead of a condemnation of her for anti-Semitism, of which she was never guilty. She was criticizing the policies and actions of the government of Israel, not seeking to discount anyone on the basis of their ethnic origin or, or religious orientation. So she wasn't attacking Jews or Judaism. She was instead going after the Israelis for their assault on Palestinians, for their theft of Palestinian land, for the ongoing construction of settlements. And she did it in an effortless way. And when all the old guard tried to marshal to condemn her, they met massive resistance from the new progressives. I'm frankly very proud of these new progressives in the Democratic Party for standing up for her. Oh, yes. And they had to water it down so badly. I mean, now it was just talking about every possible group you could imagine. I mean, it's pretty just, astonishing. I mean, it was just fascinating, Ooh, yes. Michael, fascinating. It yeah, really absolutely. is. And you, of course, are referring to the lady by the name of Ilhan Omar. Yes, who is a re new representative from Minnesota, where I resided for the last 19 years of my 35-year career on the Duluth campus of right. the University of Minnesota. Yes, Jim. And, of course, welcome back to End of Days. Thank you for being here. Always an honor to share the air with you, Jim, this will certainly be fun. And well, Michael, uh, yes, they're, they're trying to keep up with this because mm -hmm. as soon as you put up one of our interviews, they take it down. Oh, well, of course. And I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because I had to 
I do something a little bit different here in terms of the live program. Um, I actually put a photo of Joe Rogan and his interview with Alex Jones. And well, Jim, tonight I think we will definitely be getting into some of that here as we begin. And But going back to what you mentioned, YouTube taking down our interviews, which is true. I had multiple interviews with you locked and they were still taken down. How did they, how did they do that? I re- they were locked. Yeah, That's it's like just nuts. That's like private archive, right? Exactly. They weren't public, and they were still taken down. See, isn't that insulting beyond belief? It really is. Uh, uh, yeah, these zealots, and it's, it's a combination of the neocons and, the, you know, who are pro-Israel anyway, the, the Zionists, the CIA, all the anti-Trumpers. They're doing everything they can to suppress conservative voices and conspiracy research. And, of course, you know, I mean, in the past, I voted for Bill Clinton twice. I voted for Barack Obama twice. In retrospect, I realize the tremendous damage both of them did to the United States. Uh, uh, Clinton, especially by signing NAFTA, which had the effect, just as Russ Perot predicted, of gutting our industrial and manufacturing base, from which we've never been able to recover. Uh, Barack Obama, among his many other stunning feats, nullified the Smith-Mund Act of 1948, which precluded the use of the same techniques of propaganda and disinformation within the United States that were being used without by the Smith Modernization Act of 2012, just in time to bring in Sandy Hook, which was a Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Eric Holder, Daniel Malloy, Connecticut State Police, Newtown School Board, FEMA, DHS exercise, where they took a, a, a FEMA, a two-day FEMA exercise for a mass casualty drill involving children, presented it as mass murder to promote gun control. And would you believe, I mean, we have done, my collaborators and I have done so much to expose it all, including publishing the book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, right. which first appeared on Amazon on 22 uh, October 2015, where there are 13 contributors, Michael, including six current retired PhD professors. When we established the school had been closed by 2008, that there were no students there. It, it was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards damaged by hurricanes. There was even a major flood in the area in 2007. So there were no students there. And then they conducted this FEMA drill to present it as a, you know, a, a, an emotional attack on American parents. I mean, look, it was faux terrorism. But it was an act of terrorism anyway by the Obama administration because acts of terrorism are designed to instill fear into a population in order to make it more amenable to political manipulation and promote an agenda. And that's exactly what they did at Sandy Hook. We now know much more than we did when I published the book, which went on sale, as I mentioned, 22 October 2015, and then was banned on 19 November, less than a month later, after it sold nearly 500 copies. It was going to be a runaway bestseller, Michael. Oh, yes, and they took that down quick. Yeah, they had to do something about it, just as they have to do something about our interviews. I mean, there's just too much truth. Isn't that remarkable, though, Jim, that you have become a target? Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, I've become a huge target. I mean, they've taken down not only all kinds of interviews I've done and videos I've done, but those with others like yourself. In fact, Mike Adams lost his whole channel. He had uh, 
he had 1,700 videos, over 200,000 subscribers. Wow. He, he took him down because of an interview he did with me back in 2015 when the book was banned. He's back up now, but it shattered all of those links. In fact, I was astonished when er, in 2018, I mean, th this is like three years later, he wanted to do another interview. And after we did the interview and it didn't show up, I thought maybe he'd abandon the project because it was six or eight weeks later before he put it up. But he used a, a description he'd introduced during the interview. So he published it under the title, Most Dangerous Mind in America on mm. False Flags and Extreme Censorship. And, you know, it's just stunning how many people have been hit because they did interviews with me. I mean, you're in very good company, my friend. Oh, very yes. good company. Yes. and. As we begin here, have you at all listened to Joe Rogan's podcast with Alex Jones? I've caught a whole lot of it. I know the parts you want to talk about especially, and I have lots of things to say about it. I mean... Yeah, we'll get into that. And yeah. I, I just want so, yes, yes. to set the stage and preface this, that I personally enjoy Joe Rogan's commentary for the UFC, and I don't really have anything negative say about Joe, to be completely honest, but I'll be transparent. I have not listened to any of his shows since 2010. And I, however, have heard his show with Alex Jones. And I got some clips here. Uh, I, I clipped up, I clipped, I, I chopped up some clips here, uh, John Wayne Bobbitt style. What? If you remember him, that, that was a pretty tasteless joke there. That's okay. Yes, I'm sure somebody I will mean, appreciate but, it. I'll tell you what the... the... <laughs> One of the triumphs of my career in relation to 9-11, my wife and I were flown, all expense paid, to Athens, Greece, and put on television. It was a program that was uh, organized by the, the leading muckraking journalist in Greece responsible for bringing down corrupt Greek governments. It, 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 they had 11 panelists. I was told going in that only a few would speak, and I said, not tonight, and I was right. All 12 raised questions. They had wonderful clips about 9-11. The show went for three hours. It was broadcast worldwide by satellite, and he extended it for another half hour. So it's three and a half hours worldwide by satellite. I actually think, in retrospect, that was the high watermark for the 9-11 truth movement right there, because meanwhile, these other people were sabotaging Scholars for 9-11 Truth, which I had founded because I'd gone off the reservation. I wasn't supporting their nanothermite hypothesis, having discovered it's a feeble explosive. I would subsequently and couldn't possibly have been responsible for destroying the Twin Towers. Right. I would subsequently publish three articles about nanothermite with T. Mark Hightower, who's a chemical engineer. That They appeared in 2011. And uh, we explained how it's a law of material science that in order for a, an explosive to destroy a material, it must have a detonation velocity equal to or greater than the speed of sound in that material. The speed of sound in concrete is 3,200 meters per second. The speed of sound in steel is 6,100 meters per second. But the detonation velocity of nanothermite is only 895 meters per second, meaning you can't get there from there. Couldn't possibly have done it. But because I had wanting to broaden the range of subjects on the 11th of November, 2006, interviewed Judy Wood on my then radio program. And I, I'm now, I don't know, this must be number eight. I have my eighth radio show. It's pretty funny that you and, mentioned her name because her name I was, know. yes. I, I know. <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll come back to exactly that. That's just fine. 
but but they were unhappy because see I was pioneering the interaction between the internet radio and the computer. So I'd have everyone go to Judy's website. We'd go through the evidence she amassed, where she has this most marvelous compilation. In fact, I highly recommend her book, Where Did the Towers Go?, as by far the best collection of photographs, diagrams, studies. Yes. Well, I disagree with her conclusion. I admire her work. In fact, when I organized the first 9-11 conference sponsored by Scholars for 9-11 Truth, which was held right here in Madison, I gave Judy an unprecedented three hours to speak. Michael, I have done conferences all over the world, including tons as an academician. I never heard of anyone being given three hours to speak, but I gave Judy Wood three hours to speak. I also featured her allies, Morgan Reynolds and uh, Jerry Leapart, who was her attorney, uh, both super people, in my opinion. You know, she had a very large representation, but it was because I'd featured her on this radio show on the 11th of November that they they felt they had to sabotage scholars because we were getting, you know, too close to the truth. I mean, it, it, meaning, uh, look, nanothermite can't possibly have done it. It's only one thirteenth as powerful as TNT. And yet these people continue to this day to push the nanothermite hypothesis. Architects and engineers has been dominated by it. Oh, they won't. Well, one of the tells, Michael, about both Judy and her do group and right. nine architects and engineers is that neither group will talk about who was responsible and why. Well, that's very true. I tried to press Mr. Richard Gage on the matter and he didn't answer it. Are you stunned? I, mean, I wasn't surprised. All, 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 all <laughs> of this is academic. All of this is uh, esoteric. If you want to talk even about Building 7, having come down in a classic controlled demolition, if you have no idea of the context, if you have no understanding of the political motivation, if you have no idea that this, in fact, was rigged and set up by the CIA, the neocons and the Department of Defense and the Mossad in order to justify the United States military becoming involved in the Middle East to take out the modern Arab states that serve as a counterbalance, Israel's domination of the entire region, and, and eventually to confront the Persian nation of Iran, you don't have any understanding of 9-11 whatsoever. So both Judy Wood and Richard Gage in Architects and Engineers have not only an inadequate theory, two different theories, of course, but both inadequate to account for how it was done, while Judy continues to insist that we can't even begin to think about who is responsible and why until we know how it was done. And when she says that, she means the very last detail, which, of course, is frankly absurd because it will never be obtained. But that's the point of it, to, to have a limited hangout. They're both limited hangouts. Gage, as you experience yourself, won't talk about who is responsible and why. This is a complete... Oh, he won't. Yeah, it's, it's rather... Uh, true what you're saying about that and uh, matter of fact perhaps maybe a week or two ago one of his media well i think it was a one of his pr guys he actually called my cell phone and was trying to set up an interview with gage and of course i never heard back uh, i have a, i have a few reasons why i think uh, that went that way i think perhaps he might have seen your name here again and, <laughs> and what i was gonna do was give you a call and have you come into that interview with Gage and see what would happen? Oh, he would have. I think he would have hung up. He would have bricked, you know. Yeah. I, 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 I forgo the four-letter word, but that's what mm -hmm. he would have done. I think so. And and by the way, just to set the record straight, 
I do like Judy Wood's work, but my personal interactions with her were kind of strange. She did accuse me of working for the CIA. Judy's a very peculiar person. Very, she really very is. And it's not the first time I've been accused of working for the CIA. Uh, mind you, Jim, I, I just think I'm not quite sure why anyone would even suspect anything like that from me. Michael, here's a clue. Uh, she's got a couple of warriors who go out after people. One of them is named Thomas Potter. And he sent just a vicious attack on me. And it had a multiple... CC list. So I replied all with a rebuttal that was rather forceful. And to my astonishment, one of them bounced and it was from the ADL. Mm. So, you know, I mean, they anticipated there'd be research here. And if you, if you want to understand 9-11, you have to realize Israel was the primary player here. It, it was roughly up by and for Israel. But but so they they anticipated and they created limited hangouts with the very different character so that Judy I'm quite convinced is 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 financed by the Zionists even by the ADL which really is the intellectual arm of the most hot. It's pretty shocking. And, and Richard Gage I'm convinced is similar, but he's already soaked up donations from the American people because it looks imposing, you know, fourteen hundred or. 2,400 or whatever engineers and architects, but they won't go there. And in fact, neither of them is willing to address something as obvious and compelling as the U.S. Geological Survey's dust studies from 35 locations in Manhattan, which turned up elements that in their quantities and compositions would not have been there had this not been a nuclear event, including barium, strontium, lithium, lanthanum, uh, chromium, tritium, some of which only exist in radioactive forms. I mean, that's one of the real tells we have about what happened. But it, and we've had this huge number of first responders and residents in the immediate vicinity who have contracted the kinds of medical anomalies associated with nuclear catastrophes, such as at Chernobyl, including multiple myeloma, leukemia, esophageal, pancreatic, other Lots of cancer. Yeah, yeah. it's un very unusual that that was the result of that incident there on that morning. Lots of yeah, people it's very sick. And if they actually simply collapsed, you know, if, if anything about the official narrative were true, it wouldn't have happened. But of course, the fact that it did happen shows virtually nothing about the official narrative is true. In fact, it turns out none of the four 9-11 aircraft crashed on 9-11. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. I'm a, they attempt to deride what is known as no-planes theory, which actually is the conjunction of four different theses. That, that uh, uh, thesis one, that Flight 11 didn't hit the North Tower. Thesis two, that Flight 175 didn't hit the South Tower. Thesis three, that Flight 77 didn't hit the Pentagon. And thesis uh, four, that Flight 93 didn't crash in Shanksville. We'll get this. Two of those flights weren't even scheduled that day. The, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics keeps records on the takeoff and landing of every single commercial flight in the United States. Yes, you're talking uh, about but, the... But, but mm -hmm. as Gerard Holmgren, who is a blues musician from Australia, quite a brilliant guy, astutely observed, neither Flight 11 or Flight 77 were scheduled that day, which means they weren't even in the air. Yes. And pilot, pilots for 9-11 Truth, actually, based upon their study of air-ground communication, were able to track Flight 93 and discover it was over Champaign-Urbana after it had officially crashed in Shanksville. 
And similarly for Flight 175, discovering it was over Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, after it had officially hit the South Tower. So I obtained FAA registration data and discovered that the planes used for those flights weren't even registered. Yeah. Yeah. The same plane can one day fly from Tampa to Chicago, the next New York to L.A. and so forth. We're not even formally deregistered or taken out of service until 28 September 2005. Yes, and for for those that don't know, the the FAA is the Federal Aviation Administration. Right, exactly, Mm -hmm. raising questions like the following. How can planes that weren't even in the air have crashed on 9-11? And how can planes that crashed on 9-11 have still been in the air four years later? Indeed, as David Ray Griffin makes the very first point of his magisterial work, the 9-11 Commission Report Omissions and Distortions, six or seven of these guys, these alleged suicide hijackers, turned up alive and well the following day, made contact with the UK, the British media. So, But the FBI, quite diligently, it was headed at the time by guess who? Robert Mueller. Oh, my. Oh, yes. Wouldn't change their account. The fact these guys were on their list of the 19 hijackers who officially had committed suicide, crashing planes that hadn't crashed, and who turned up alive and well, no, Mueller's FBI wouldn't deign to change what they knew from the beginning because it was predetermined. It was scripted. So he wasn't going to go off the script. This guy has a a sordid history, I'll tell you. I did a two-hour on the Russia hoax comes apart at the seams. The whole thing was totally phony, fake from the beginning. Or even Christopher Steele, who was the MI6 agent from the UK who composed the so-called Russia dossier that was used to justify the FISA warrant to conduct surveillance of the Trump campaign personnel admitted in a British court to the astonishment of the judge that he composed the dossier being paid by Hillary Clinton for doing so. That's pretty damning. And of course, during that interview with Alex Jones, they did get into the topic of 9-11 since we are on it. And I had a clip of that, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Let me just add one word. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Which is, you can find, you know, do a search. I think it's on uh, BitChute. Uh, for the Russia hoax comes apart at the seams, or go to my blog, which is jamesfetzer.org, and search for the Russia hoax comes apart at the seams, because I've embedded the video there with a whole lot of other stuff. Yes, very good. you're still laboring under the illusion that there was anything real, that it wasn't just a great big nothing burger, you really need to get up to speed, because we've known forever this whole thing was fake. But the Democrats don't have anything better. They don't have anything better. And now they know, you see, they know the the Mueller report is going to peter out, that it's fallen apart. So now they're trying to make Trump out to be uh, a mobster, a racist mobster. Oh, yes. You're referring to uh, Cohen now, what he said. Say again? Uh, You're referring to what Michael Cohen said about Trump. And I do have... Well, Michael Cohen, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. was part of the new script, the plan B. I got audio of that, too. Yeah, good, good. We'll talk about all that. Well, it turns out, like in, uh, I believe it was 1986, Trump, who had a long history and a great reputation for being, you know, non-racial. I mean, he's totally objective and has no racial animus whatsoever. It's funny you say that because uh, the whole race racist thing, a lot of rappers would actually mention Donald Trump in a lot of their songs during those days. You mean, and favorably. Yeah, they, were, they weren't because talking negatively about him. Well, get this in 1986, 
Donald Trump received the Ellis Island Award for, uh, you know, interracial relations for being a humane, tolerant guy. And guess who were the other two who received it with him at the same time? Rosa Parks and Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Michael, this amazing. is so absurd. It's ridiculous. The Democrats, Trump derangement syndrome has overwhelmed them. They believe their own propaganda. They actually think there was Russian hacking. Uh, we know that Seth Rich actually downloaded the files directly from the DNC server. He was a supporter of Bernie Sanders. He was disillusioned that Debbie Wasserman Schultz had sabotaged his campaign by, for example, transferring 13 primaries. Bernie had won to Hillary's column to guarantee she'd be the candidate. With the help of Kim.com, who's a rather well-known Internet personality, Seth Rich downloaded the files. Uh, experts like Bill Benny. Uh, and Larry Johnson, who are both among our nation's leading, uh, you know, uh, crypto uh, analysts, have concluded that it was done much too fast to have been distant Russian hacking, and was done in the Eastern Time Zone. I mean, it's that bad. So, well, there were Russian bots that were trying to influence the election. And this sort of thing does go on with many different countries, and we are known to do the same thing. But in terms well, Michael, of it, Michael, there's mm -hmm. some there's some bizarre billionaire who, when Roy Moore was running, you know, looked like he was going to become the senator from Alabama. He he created a whole bunch of little bots that were supposed to be Russian bots to affect that campaign to look at make it look as though Russia was supporting Roy Moore. I mean, it's incredibly stupid. But get this. It turns out the CEO of Google testified to Congress that the total amount Russia had spent on its attempts to influence the election was $4,700. And frankly, a CEO like that of a big company like that drops that much on a buffet luncheon for his executives. I mean, this is just incredible. It was oh, yes. all bullshit. All bullshit, Michael. All bullshit. Yes, and it's incredible that you say that because nowadays people are starting to realize that corporations have become way bigger than government. Corporations are the ones who now control the narrative. Let me just say, as even Noam Chomsky observed, he said there was a foreign government that was attempting to influence the outcome of our election, but it wasn't Russia. It was Israel. Ah, uh, yes. And that's why I applaud this this Omar. wonderful woman, Ilhan Omar. She's right. done something absolutely staggering. I regard this as the most important political development in the last 50 years. Yes, it's quite astonishing to actually see that come to the mainstream. And we'll, we'll get into that in a moment here. Yeah, but go for it. Yes, let me go play this 9-11 uh, clip here. Absolutely. And, of course, this is from Joe Rogan's podcast when he was talking to Alex Jones. Uh, Joe asked Alex about 9-11. And, of course, his sidekick there, Eddie Bravo, brings up Dr. Judy Wood. But before we play that clip where they mention you in passing, let's let's play the 9-11 clip first that leads us into that one moment here. Why is YouTube taking down Building 7 footage? Yeah. I mean, here, here's and my thing about Building 7. Footage. Why are they I going was, out to flat I was on syndicated radio on like 50 stations in 2001. And I'm... Sitting there, that's actually, just, I was on 120 stations. So I lost like 70% of them for saying that it was an inside job. I didn't mean the firemen blew it up. I'm watching Fox News, CNN at my studio. And then I go get a pizza at four o'clock with CBS radio back then. And they go, Solomon Brothers, Building 7 is going to be brought down to control demolition to save other buildings. 
So I go back on air and announce Building 7 is being brought down to save other buildings. And for like five years, everyone goes, I'm crazy. Then CNN and all of them archive it on the Internet. And everyone's watching Building 7 going, BBC, ABC, Let me ask you, what, what do you think happened with Tower 7? CNN, ABC, and CBS told me the government blew it up. The government. I mean, you can play the clips. They go, the cops are like, get back, we're blowing it up. And the media goes, oh, you mean the cops blew it up? No, the cops are told, get back on the countdown. I've interviewed the cops like 10, 9, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Explain to me. Do you think that they had detonations set up already in the building? See, that's where this goes next, Joe, which I used to always like try to follow down what it means. I don't know. I've learned to go, hey, I've got five different newscasts when it happened and before saying they blew it up. I don't. Now, what do you think of that right there? Well, he's in this instance more right than wrong. But I mean, it was so obvious that even Dan Rather at the time when Building 7 came down said it looked just like the destruction of those resorts and casinos in Las Vegas. I mean, he was saying it on 9-11 at the time Building 7 came down. It was a classic controlled demolition. They blew all the support columns at the same time. All the floors come down together. When it's over... There's a stack of debris equal to about 20% of the height of the original, which was 47 floors. So we got five and a half floors of debris. Uh, there isn't any question about it. What, I'm surprised at this point in time, though, that he doesn't know more about it. For example, that Barry Jennings, who is from the New York Emergency Management Unit, had gone to Building 7 because right. Rudy Giuliani had a two-floor command and control center with his own air and water supply. And when he made his way up there, he found half-eaten sandwiches, still steaming cups of coffee. And a fireman came along and said, hey, we've got to get you out of here. Well, explosions were going off inside the building while Barry Jennings was there. This is in the morning. He had a stairwell blown out from under him. At one point, he felt himself stepping over human bodies. He couldn't see them in the pitch blackness, but he could certainly tell that was what he was stepping over. When he got out, he did interviews, and some of them are still up today. Yeah, they're now, still up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now uh, as many critics observed, the 9-11 Commission report doesn't even mention Building 7. Yeah, Building doesn't 7. Doesn't even mention Building yeah, 7. Yeah, Building 7 was very, very unusual, and it definitely did look like a controlled demolition, no doubt. It fell at freefall well, speed there. That was 5.20 in the afternoon, about seven hours after the North Tower had been destroyed. And he's also correct that the BBC anchor, Jane Stanley, was reporting that the she referred to it as the Solomon Brothers building because the Solomon Brothers owned a big chunk of it. And the, the design of the building was so robust. In my judgment, this was the most robust building ever erected by the hand of man because it was put up over two enormous electrical generators to provide backup electricity for lower Manhattan. It was designed to never collapse. And that's why they had such a problem, such a chore prepping it. But the fact is that uh, the NIST, therefore, had to do a special study of Building 7. Oh, yes, like, NIST. You know, mm-hmm. like the uh, the 9-11 Commission report, of course, it was a complete whitewash. It, it wove a fantasy suggesting that the very modest fires had caused the building to come down, which was, I mean, beyond ridiculous. But the fact is that uh, 
just days before NIST was to publish its report on Building 7, which Barry Jennings could have refuted based on his own personal experience, he died mysteriously. Not, yes. not the only mysterious death related to 9-11, but there it was, staring us right in the face. Now that Alex Jones at this late point in time doesn't know the story of Barry Jennings is beyond me. Uh, also, of course, Larry Silverstein himself gave a celebrated interview to NPR during which he explained he was in contact with the, and here he gives a verbal pause, er, fire commander, implying to me that he actually knew this guy under another designation. And he told him there'd been so much death and destruction, and destruction, perhaps the best thing to do is to pull it, which of course is a construction term for bring down by controlled demolition. He said they made the decision to pull and we watched the building come down. Well, you can't do better than Larry Silverstein telling you that it was brought down by a controlled demolition because he, of course, was the person who took possession of the World Trade Center just six weeks before 9-11. Another, yeah, another funny thing to mention really quickly here in terms of Larry is that he may have bought terrorism insurance just before 9-11. Well, he did. He fired the security firm that had looked after the World Trade Center since it first opened in 1970 and hired an Israeli firm called Kroll. He renegotiated the insurance policy and, and with an anti-terrorism clause. So when there were purportedly two planes, he claimed double indemnity, he collected over $4.5 billion on a $114 million investment. They don't call him Lucky Larry for nothing. Yes, he made a lot up from that insurance company, no doubt. And Michael, he and his daughter, who also worked at the, uh, you know, at the World Trade Center, every workday, every business day, they would have dinner at Windows on the World atop the North Tower. But that day, Not no. that morning. No, <laughs> uh, he claimed his wife had made a dermatological appointment for him, but that wouldn't have included his daughter, who also was not present. And, you know, Odango, a, 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 an Israeli messaging service, was sending out advisories to, to Jewish employees who worked at the World Trade Center not to come in. I even had a little old lady from Brooklyn called me to say that her the rabbi had warned the members of her synagogue not to go into lower Manhattan that day. And That's I really insane. appreciated the call. I mean, it was utterly sincere. Very yes. Sweet. Let's continue some of that audio. I don't know what happened. Is it possible that it collapsed because of those gigantic diesel fires? Right. And then the that was way, Tower One and Two. Seven's no, its own building. Seven Seven had a diesel, right, had diesel, diesel tanks in the basement and they caught fire. They said it was an inferno. And they said it cooked through so the see how he knows oh, all hold, this. hold on a second. It's always... But I want to ask you this because I don't know. Oh yeah, right. But it, it they said that what happened was this is whoever the fuck explained it that you know was making these YouTube videos. That the fire had burnt through the internal structure of the building at such a, uh, a high temperature that all of these floors pancaked. collapsed. They pancaked. And then it came but down. But it never happened before or since. Right. Never hasn't happened before or since. That's a fact. Joe, I'm gonna, here's, but here's the thing about the this. The Alex Jones 18 years ago would argue every point and say I knew what happened. Okay. The Alex Jones of 2019 is honest. Well, I'm glad you're, you're And I'm going to say, I've seen them say they blew it up and nobody can describe it. I don't know, Joe, what happened? Right. Well, when you look at it, the way it falls, it falls exactly like a controlled demolition. Exactly. So it falls from the top down, but... Well, at least he acknowledges that bit of truth. Well, but his whole story about the diesel tanks is rubbish, complete rubbish. This is one of several tells to me 
that Joe Reagan is is some kind of op. I mean, you know, it's obvious. Alex has been covering up for Israel from the beginning. He's been a limited hangout. He'll never talk about Israel in relation to 9-11. And, and often you'll find one op does an interview with another, and they seem very complimentary. I'd say this is one of those cases. I'm glad you mentioned that because I do have another clip where Alex is talking to Howard Stern and a subject of his wife is mentioned. Let's play that. Sure. By the way, you're married to a Jewish woman. Uh, well, yes, uh, on my uh, wife's uh, mother's side. Yes. And uh, do you buy into any of those conspiracy theories that the Jews are behind everything? Well, let me explain this. Let me explain. That's why he married one, Howard. Right. Smart. (laughs) Why not marry a Jew and get in on all of this? Listen, this is not an exaggeration. Right. If you go online, you will get more results for Alex Jones, Mossad agent, Alex Jones, Jew, for me than you will Benjamin Netanyahu. Right. I'm not kidding. The Nazis and all of them. I'm not exaggerating. I am like the number one. I'm actually proud of this. Most hated person. Person by Nazis worldwide for whatever reason I don't even really know. Uh, th- I wonder why. I mean, you know, you know, I think I cover some of the conspiracy topics that they want to hijack and run. Yeah. And the fact that I'm not letting them take over the debate really pisses them off. How many guns do you own? That's what that was the question. That was the question. Can I just finish the Jewish thing? Okay, go ahead. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to be rude to the show. But <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm fascinated. Keep going. Well, no, no, no. Listen, listen. Yeah. Here's the deal. Every group has mafias in it. And there's a Jewish mafia. There's a you know Muslim mafia. There's Irish mafia, Italian mafia. And so what's happened is some of the Jewish interest groups like ADL and others, they've gone way too far demonizing people that criticize what, you know, like, oh, Bernie Madoff's corrupt. Oh, you're anti-Semitic. No, Bernie Madoff's a crook. Like Ken Lay, who's not Jewish, is a crook. Are we saying people the English lay lay, you know, but now you're saying British are bad. You're racist. You don't like Ken Lay or, or you know, uh, this or that. They uh, they use it as a way to, to to divert people off. So certainly there's plenty of corruption Certainly, uh, they, they try to use the anti-Semitic label to demonize anybody uh, who is standing up for the Palestinians. All that kind of stuff goes on. But separately, experiencing uh, the fact that because my wife's part Jewish, then they go, well, that mean, that makes your kids little hook-nosed Jews. We want to kill them. And <laughs> wow. that's all over the web. Who's they want to kill said my that? kids. <laughs> who, so wait so my issue is yeah. the nastiest people I've run into, I've got to say, are the Jew-obsessed folks who, by the way, think no one can be successful unless they're Jewish. So now they say, I'm Jewish and I never had any success (laughs) from working hard. I've been successful because the Jews have done everything for me. Amazing. What do you think about that? Well, it's really uh, pathetic and embarrassing. I mean, he's trying to make himself out to be a victim. This is a traditional line. Actually, I just played a clip in the show I did about Representative Omar, because I was tracing the whole history, distinctions between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and the distinction between the Reform and the Orthodox Jews and the virulent form of Talmudic Zionism that espouses the views that uh, Jews are so superior to the other races that they only exist to serve the Jews, and how they, you know, very much play, uh, well, what uh, uh, Israeli a former Israeli minister of education said during an interview that I actually played. She's on video. She says it's a trick. But whenever we get criticism, we, we talk about uh, anti-Semitism. And if it gets more serious, then we appeal to the Holocaust. She was describing it as a trick. 
Right. It, I noticed a long time ago there was a website called Rat-Faced Jews, and I oh started my. talking about it on my show as having been put up by the ADL. And no sooner had I begun calling it out than they took it down. You know, it, it, I, mean, I it, do have it's, to. It's, it's, oh, go ahead. You know, it's just part and parcel of uh, playing off of a Western sense of guilt over the Holocaust, where if you study the facts of the matter, you discover, for example, there were 236 references to, 600, to 6 million Jews in dire straits for fear of loss of their lives before the Nuremberg Tribunal, beginning when I've usually said 1890. Someone told me the other day it goes back like 1860. In other words, this has nothing to do with history or evidence. It, 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 it has to do with a theological view rooted in a disputed passage of Leviticus that's interpreted to mean that the chosen people can return to the promised land only when they're minus six million who have been consumed in the flames. But even that requires an interpolation because there was no word for six million in the original Hebrew. Just to give you a contrast, the International Committee of the Red Cross was keeping meticulous records on all of the camps, and they were recording the the age, the, the sex, the, the uh, race, the ethnicity, the religion, and the cause of death of everyone who died. And in 1993, they recalibrated their total, which was 296,081 from all causes, none of whom died from being put to death in a gas chamber. Yes. And of course, I just wanted to quickly mention, being a Jew definitely does help your career in show business. And if you don't oh, think well, it does, guy, <laughs> if you don't think it does, you have a lot to learn. You can find the article online. You know, he's responding very cheerfully to the question, do Jews run Hollywood? He said, of course. And he went through all the studios and every single one was controlled by, by Jews. With one exception, I think it may have been United Artists, every other Hollywood studio was totally Jewish dominated. And if you look at the media today, it's the same. It's a very I have, yeah, a, I same have people. a panel I also included in this presentation, which, uh, which is up, by the way, on, uh, on uh, I'll find it for you and tell you how to find it. Oh, by the way, Jim, uh, speaking of which, I do have your website, Moonrock Books, now back as an affiliate on my website. I had to fix a few things there. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Right. Well, uh, I have this show up there. Let me find it uh, here for you. But the fact is I include these three panels, three panels uh, of 100 executives of CNN, 100 executives of NBC, 100 executives of The New York Times, all of whom are dual U.S.-Israeli citizens. Interesting, yes. All of them. All of them. I mean, it's just embarrassingly bad. Yes, I mean, and going back to Alex really quickly, just because he married a Jewish woman doesn't exactly make him Jewish, but this is just an example of why people insinuate that he is a Jew now. Well, he's a Jewish apologist. I mean, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's part of a limited hangout. Here it is. The title is <coughs> Jim Fetzer, The Raw Deal, 3719. Actually, it's 36. It was actually on Wednesday. Wednesday. Mm -hmm. No, I, I apologize. It was. It was. See, I'm on it. I've just changed my schedule from Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday to Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. This was from Wednesday. But the title: Jim Fetzer, the Raw Deal, Muslim Congresswoman stands up to APAC. It's two hours long. It's very thorough. If someone wants to understand what's going on here, why all the hullabaloo? What 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 makes a difference? What matters? I say. 
check it out. Go to, this is at 153news.net, which is one of the few secure networks. It's also going to be put up at BitChute, uh, but it's right now at 153news.net. Jim Fetzer, the raw deal, Muslim congresswoman stands up to APAC. Yes, and one of your recent interviews, you did mention Cynthia McKinney, who ha- who I've interviewed here a few years ago and did confirm to me about the APAC that new members of Congress are asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those in the United States. That's right. That's exactly right. I include that interview Amazing. in this, in this two-hour program. There's about 10 minutes of her talking to Marzi Hashimi, who is this wonderful anchor for Press TV. She was um, born in New Orleans. She's an uh, African-American, and she's also a Muslim, and she has hosted, you know, been an anchor on Press TV forever. And when she returned to the United States not long ago, she was arrested by the FBI and held on a material witness warrant is what they do when they don't have a legitimate reason to arrest you. Right. She was uh, put in shackles. She was strip searched. She was kept in uh, solitary. She was offered pork. I mean, all of it, you know, she was forced to remove her head cover. And they were interrogating her, and about three-quarters of the questions were about a New Horizons conference that Iran holds in Tehran. I participated in such a conference in 2012, where they were actually talking about the role of Hollywood in producing propaganda films. But it brings intellectuals from all over the world to Tehran, and there's no censorship, nothing. It's a free and open exchange of ideas. We should have such a thing here in the United States. It would be as though the Kennedy Center brought a whole lot of intellectuals into debate about the relative merits of Zionism versus, you know, anti-Zionism versus anti-Semitism and whether or not U.S. being controlled by Israel is a good thing or not. And it's so astonishing that this very petite, I mean, very nice looking, covered with a scarf because she's Muslim, this this petite young woman should cause such consternation and bring APAC to its knees. That's just astonishing. It really is. Astonishing. I'm amazed. I never thought I'd ever see that. And doesn't this kind of no. remind, doesn't all of this kind of remind you of the Jewish Bolsheviks? Yeah, of course. Yeah. The well, first, the first law was anti-Semitism. People don't know that the Bolsheviks <laughs> really was a Jewish slaughter of the Tsar and his family that, to take over Russia. And it was all propagandistic. Bolshevik means majority party when they were actually the minority party. So, I mean, you know, propaganda. Israel benefits massively from propaganda. A point uh, I, I may or may not have made sufficiently clearly is that Israel's Politically, influence is derived from a Western sense of guilt over the Holocaust, which was itself a fabricated event. They just exaggerated beyond belief to make up a rationale for founding a Jewish state, which has now become officially an apartheid state. Just in the last few months, Israel declared itself to be a Jewish state rather than a democratic state. So now Palestinians are second-class citizens, just as in South Africa, an apartheid state. It used to be that the whites dominated over the blacks. Now it's been inverted and the blacks dominate over the whites. But South Africa is again an apartheid state. I mean, it's just stunning. It really is. And going back now to the cliffs, I'm a bit perplexed with with this one here, uh, Jim, to when, I, I mean, when Alex insinuated that he's tired of Fetzer speaking for me. Let's play that clip. You know who Dr. Judy Wood is? 
Uh, oh, no, I do know. She's, yeah, she's got Dr. Judy Wood has wrote a book called Where Did the Towers Go? Yeah, part of her theory. Stuff. Her theory is this is just this is just some lady scientist lady. No, I know. So she, she said it was a federal agent. Based, based on I, the I fact her. that there was this is what she claims based on the video her and, and, the, and and the pictures that she has of uh, where the towers collapsed. Way, I'm she's tired saying, of Fetzer speaking for me. Sorry, he's tired of Fetzer speaking for him. Well, it's really peculiar. That's very strange. I mean, the fact that he was associating me with Judy when we have long since parted ways, I mean, intellectually and otherwise. I mean, I interviewed her with that radio computer interaction 15 times, Michael, between the first interview on 11 November and in mid-2008. I did 15 different interviews with Judy Wood. That appears to be why he would associate me with Judy, not realizing that we have long since parted ways. In fact, I organized an international conference, the the second from scholars in Vancouver in 2012. And before I left to manage the conference, I posted a five-star review of her book on Amazon because I was so complimentary about the stunning compilation of photos, documents, and records as a vast repository. I mentioned in passing that I thought she'd uh, ruled out large nukes, but she hadn't ruled out the use of mini or micro nukes. I went to the conference, and there was a whole lot presented about the use of nuclear devices on 9-11. When I came back, I discovered that there had been, in the meanwhile, 2,000 attacks on my review of Judy Wood's book. It was, a, mind you, a five-star review, right? You can't give a more positive number of stars than five. That's true. And, and yet, of my review, this is not her book. This is my review of her book. It had 2,000 attacks by Judy Wood stalwarts. This is part of what convinced me that she was actually the head of a cult, which has a sacred text. Where did the towers go? It has a mythical leader, Judy Wood. It is a praetorian guard to protect her, including this Thomas Potter I mentioned, a guy named Andrew Johnson from the UK, and a, and a, and a few others who go out to viciously attack anyone who commits the heresy of faulting Judy in any respect. Well, I knew a lot more because of the conference about the role of nukes, so I revised my review. I downgraded it to three stars. And I expanded by pointing out that she wasn't taking into account the results of the U.S. Geological Survey, which I previously sketched during our conversation here this evening, and enumerated, you know, lithium, lanthanum, barium, strontium, tritium, and so forth. And that, you know, see, actually, she abdicates her role as a scientist when she will not any longer revise her beliefs in relation to new evidence or alternative hypotheses. So, you know, given that evidence, were she still in a scientific mode, and she, contrary to what seemed to be going on between Alex and Rogan, right. she actually has the best credentials of anyone to study 9-11. She has a degree in mechanical She was a professor of mechanical engineering at Clemson. She has degrees in mechanical engineering, structural engineering, as I recall, and also material science, which right. is so vital, because as I was explaining... That's how we know that, uh, you know, nanothermite can't have been responsible for blowing the buildings apart. Yes. Going back well, to... Get, that, well, get, oh, go ahead. get this. Here's, here's the rest of the story. Yes. If you go now back now to review to see my review, there are over 7,500 comments on my review. Overwhelmingly, the majority are critical. Oh, wow. That's a that's lot of comments. That's my review. Michael, that's a, my review <laughs> of her book. That's a lot of comments. And yeah, she... It's absurd. It's her, absurd. 
Her... It's probably never happened before <laughs> in the history of, of Amazon that, that, that there'd be a review that would have so many comments and, and overwhelmingly 95% critics. I've never seen that many comments before, but you're right in terms of the way she's sort of like this cult figure. Uh, I know that personally because of some of the backlash I got from our, our interviews where we mentioned her in passing. And a lot of her, I guess, supporters, they they went pretty hard on me with, with uh, well, through email, very critical of myself and you, Jim. And that's how I knew, oh, okay, this these folks here are from Judy's camp. Now, Michael, here's what's so peculiar about this remark of Alex Jones. N- number one, mm-hmm. if he's associating me with Judy because I did those 15 interviews, then he's been out of date since 2008. This is a decade later. He ought to know better by now. Number number two, the area where I have sent him material and suggested that he ought to use it to defend himself is not 9-11, it's Sandy Hook. I even entered as an amicus curiae, a friend of the court, a brief in uh, the Texas lawsuit against Alex Jones, in which I introduced five exhibits that demonstrate how Noah Posner, easily the most familiar of the alleged Sandy Hook decedent kids, was a fiction made out of photographs of Michael Vabner, who's supposed to be his older stepbrother. I, I mean, I introduced a photograph of, of Noah versus Michael. I introduced a fourfold where you see Noah turning into Michael. I introduced one of Michael from his new website because now he's graduated from the University of Connecticut at Stores, looking for a position which he's now secured another of, of Michael. And then I also added as a fifth this fabricated death certificate that that the man who calls himself Lenny Posner gave to Kelly Watt after they'd had 100 hours of conversation. And Kelly told him she didn't believe a word he said, didn't he I believe he had a son, didn't believe he died. She sent him, he sent her a death certificate, which is an obvious fabrication. I mean, the bottom two thirds is dark texture. The top one third is light. It appears to be the bottom half of a real death certificate, the top half of a fake. It had no file number. Wrong estimated time of death is 11 a.m. when the shooting officially took place between 9.30 and 9.40 a.m. A plus, there are all these little anomalies with the fonts, the size of the font, the type of the font. They, they differ throughout the document. There are three or four different types of fonts and sizes. I mean, the proof that this is a fabrication is just stunning. And get this, oddly enough, I, met, I, I, I have now been sued by Lenny Posner for defamation because I declared that death certificate to be a fabrication and, and get how they're doing it. Here's how they're doing it. My God. Yeah, what, what's the update with that, Jim, if, if you can well, well, say well, anything? Well, it's, it's fascinating. I'm having a field day. That's incredible. I'm having an absolutely wonderful time. Did I did I tell you when the process server came out and, and she, she said she'd never seen anyone so happy to receive a lawsuit? That's so funny. Because I knew it would give me the opportunity to present this evidence in a court of law. Wow. And I'm pumping it in, pumping it in, pumping it in. <laughs> now, Jim, I, now, I, I tip my hat to you. That takes an incredible amount of balls to do. Well, Lenny's a complete fraud. He he sued uh, Wolfgang Halbig for defamation, too, and he didn't show up. Wolfgang dutifully went to all the pretrial hearings. Uh, 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 Lenny was represented by a, a kid who just out of law school who didn't know w- which end was up. It made a terrible impression. And eventually, the judge became so disgusted that he ordered Lenny to sit for a video deposition, at which point Lenny, rather than sit for a video deposition, withdrew the suit. Now, that says everything right there. 
So I'm not eager to go for a video deposition because I don't want him to withdraw. I want to have the opportunity to lay out as much evidence before he gets out and runs tail. But I'll tell you, his attorneys are so, I'm embarrassing them so badly in this process already, where I'm publishing <laughs> our exchanges, which are public documents in the electronic filing system for the circuit court of Dane County. I mean, these are public documents. And then I'm publishing them on my blog. So I gave you a list there of a yes. whole lot of the blogs that are about the suit. And I'm telling you, you got to watch. Try the one that the, the Sandy Hook Posner versus Fetzer lawsuit for dummies, uh, where I, I boil it down and then I lay out my answer to the summons uh, uh, rather than a motion to dismiss because I don't want to dismiss. I want to I want to fight this out in court where I explained that Lenny, his position is that since the state of Connecticut has certified this death certificate, it must be authentic. And therefore, in denying its authenticity, I have defamed him. To which my response is, and, and they claim, by the way, in, in the process, that the death certificate certified by the state of Connecticut does not differ from the death certificate Lenny gave to Kelly in any material respect. To which I reply, if the, the death certificate certified by the state of Connecticut does not differ in any material respect from the death certificate Lenny gave to Kelly then, since we have demonstrated already that the death certificate Lenny gave to Kelly is a fabrication, the state of Connecticut has certified a fabricated death certificate, which is a crime. Yes, sir. I'm and so then, glad and then you... look at this, Michael. Mm -hmm. If nobody died at Sandy Hook, and I have a mountain of evidence, right, about the school having been closed by 2008, that it was a FEMA drill. There's a mountain of evidence. If it was a FEMA drill and nobody died, then obviously any death certificate for an alleged decedent from Sandy Hook is a fabrication. So I have not only direct evidence of documents of fabrication, and we've now found like four different variations on it. Uh, but uh, we have all the indirect or circumstantial evidence that it was a FEMA drill anyway, in which case any death certificate has to be a fabrication. Now, they're trying desperately to evade the mass of evidence that is overwhelming, demonstrating that it was a two-day FEMA drill. But, I'm, I'm just know, glad, I'm just glad, Jim, that you have the upper hand in this lawsuit. Oh, I do. I have no That's doubt why, about yeah. it. I feel so happy about it. It's I'm incredible. i <laughs> when, when I learned I was being sued by Lenny, you have no idea how, how glad that made me feel. I'm sure you were smiling ear to ear. Well, here's the irony now. I have given Alex a lot of great advice about Sandy Hook, and this is a— Okay, yeah, tell me. So, yeah, tell so, us so about that. This is a tell. Alex is set up to take a fall. Uh, he's going to take a fall because he's the most prominent— of the conspiracy theorists, the, the media will go wild saying leading conspiracy theorists, you know, is shown to lose his lawsuit over Sandy Hook. And they'll smear everyone, you know, thereby by implication, who, who is a skeptic about Sandy Hook when all the actual evidence is on the side of the critics and not the side of the proponents. In fact, it's easy, I think, in my judgment, to tell that Alex is completely corrupt. He has no integrity whatsoever. He's been all sides of Sandy Hook. At one, sometimes he's declared it was a complete ruse, a fake. Nobody died. At other times, as he does here with Joe Reagan, he says, oh, no, it was real. People died. Kids really died. I mean, it's just ridiculous. He's totally discredited himself. And I think that's supposed to be an example for the country that these conspiracy theorists are so 
incompetent. They're so bewildered, you know, and he's doing a really good job of presenting himself as someone who's mentally bewildered. I mean, this interview was stunning in he's that a respect. Flip, by the time, he's a by the time it got to the end, Michael, it sounded to me as though he was actually drunk, and I think he was actually drinking. This is an over three-hour interview. Oh, he was actually, he was actually high. No doubt at all, he's, he's drunk out of his mind. Oh, well, they're high during the whole thing. But here's the other thing. If it had been about 9-11, Alex Jones organized a conference in 2006 in June at the Sheraton Hotel in Los Angeles. He named it the American Scholars Conference. I'm sure he was inspired by my having founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth. He invited me to be the keynote speaker. Yes, sir. I was a keynote speaker at Alex Jones American Scholars Conference on 9-11 in Los Angeles in June. The, on Sunday, they had a panel discussion, C-SPAN videotape, hour and 45 minutes. The four panelists were all members of scholars. Steve Jones, whom I'd invited to be my co-chair, physicist from BYU, the principal proponent of the nanothermite theory. Bob Bauman, world, Korean, world, uh, Korean War ace, he shot down 101 North Korean jets, but important because he had a degree in nuclear engineering from Caltech and was a scientific advisor to two presidents, Reagan and Ford, on the Star Wars project. Then Webster Tarpley, who published a quite brilliant book, 9-11 Synthetic Terror Made in the USA, and then me, as a founder of Scholars, where I gave a top 10 reasons we know the hijackers are fake. And it was just a terrific presentation. Hour and 45, and C-SPAN put it up seven or eight times in good time slots. I think it had the effect of shattering the glass ceiling over discussion about 9-11. Incredible. So why should Alex fault me over 9-11, right? He, 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 he appears, I mean, if you want, the, the most charitable assessment would be he's just lost his way. You know, he can't think straight any longer, uh, or he was just drinking too much, because what, what he says here is all inexcusable, inexcusable. And you can tell Joe Reagan and he were very much in this together. And it's Reagan, very strange. Reagan, in my opinion, totally discredited himself. That stuff about the diesel tanks was just complete rubbish, complete rubbish. And that he was pushing it as aggressively as he was indicates to me that he, in particular, is aware that Building 7 is a real Achilles heel. It, it was the, completely bizarre, Jim. And immediately once I heard... Uh, this going on, I messaged you pretty quickly and told you that yeah. they they mentioned you on the show. Let, let's play that clip one more time just to sure. bring it home. You know who Dr. Judy Wood is? Uh, oh, no, I do know. She's, yeah, she's got Dr. Judy Wood has wrote a book called Where Did the Towers Go? Yeah, Particle and her theory, stuff. her theory is this is just this is just some lady scientist lady. No, I know. So she based, said that was she a said, federal agent. Based, from based on the I, I fact that there was this is what she claims based on the video and the, and and the pictures that she has of uh, where the towers collapsed. By the way, I'm she's tired saying, of Fetcher speaking for me. Sorry, she's saying. Yeah, we're, I'm still I'm still just perturbed where where that comment where the origins of that comment come from. And of course, Joe, he's not an idiot. He knows who Judy Wood is, and I'm pretty sure he knows who you are, Jim. Boy, he he couldn't be confident and not know who I am for Christ's sake. You know, I mean, I've done all this work on. He's talking about nine eleven and Sandy Hook. I mean, I have to be maybe the only expert in both areas. Yes, and, and the idea that uh, you know Alex Jones was saying me and, and, and Judy and Fetzer doesn't want me speaking for him. I mean, where does that come yeah, from? Where the I hell have, does that come as from? As I said, I've written to him repeatedly about Sandy Hook, and I have published blogs 
about how Alex Jones could exonerate himself by presenting the evidence that I've been published in the blog that I included in my amicus curiae brief in Texas. Notice Alex has never had me on about either 9-11 or Sandy Hook. I mean, you know. That's kind I mean, of what, weird. How irresponsible is that? It's very strange. You've got a guy who knows mm -hmm. so bloody much about both of them. He's been flown all over the world. I've also been flown down to Argentina to give lectures on JFK and 9-11 in 2008. Then 2009, they flew me back to give the keynote address at an international symposium on 9-11 Truth and Justice held in the National Library of the Republic of Argentina. I gave a conference on the war on terror, you know, debunking the war on terror in London at Trends House. And, of course, the conference, uh, the Athens trip, and, and multiple others. I mean, I, I give talks all over the world about 9-11, but Alex hasn't had me on. I mean, that's that. I've got two, two books about 9-11. Out of the Madison 2007 conference, I published The 9-11 Conspiracy, The Scamming of America, and it has a chapter by Judy Witt. It's an excellent chapter by Morgan Reynolds, by Jerry Leapart, and others. I mean, it's a very good book. Uh, and more recently, I published America Nuked on 9-11, Compliments of the CIA, the Neocons, and the DOD, and the Mossad with moonrockbooks.com. And it has 15 contributors. I mean, that's a great place to go. Plus, I have a two-hour uh, video, 9-11, Who is Responsible and Why on BitChute. And I have another two-hour on Sandy Hook entitled Sandy Hook Update. Uh, Tracy loses, Wolfgang wins, the deep state strikes back. And I have a third two-hour on BitChute 9-11, who is responsible and why. I mean, you know. The list goes I, on. I, I, and I do all this collaboratively, Michael. I bring Correct. together the best experts. So people who try to attack me, it's bizarre. It's like. How, how likely is it that 13 contributors, including six current retired PhD professors, are going to be wrong about something as elementary as whether or not the school was open after 2008? Absolutely. You definitely bring in experts in their respected fields. And by the way, on a side note, Jim, Saturday, I have Leo Zagami on the show, and he has been appearing on the Alex Jones show quite frequently. And perhaps this might get back to him. And if it does, I would like it if Jones brought you on his show and actually let you talk about what he said, primarily about that last comment we heard. And I think it would be pretty beneficial for him to actually bring you on his show. Alex isn't going to bring me on his show. He's trying to suppress the truth, not, it seems not like it. reveal it. And I'm the opposite. I, I, I'm, I'm for everything being public. I collaborated, by the way, with Robert David Steele on two memoranda for the president of the United States, one about 9-11 and one about Sandy Hook. They are completely brilliant. They are the most recent cutting-edge research on both subjects, and you can download them both for free at the website of Robert David Steele. Oh, by the way, Jim, here's another by the way. You're familiar with Bill William Cooper, right? William Cooper, sure. All right. Well, I actually have a clip of him talking about Alex Jones from way back. I thought it'd be pretty appropriate to play that now. Go for it. Let's roll that audio. Before we get started, I have to clear up a little little discrepancy here. Apparently the other night, or within the last week, because I've been getting a lot of email about this, and I even received one telephone call. Apparently somebody called the Alex Jones broadcast and asked them, asked him why he didn't have me on the air or asked him something about me. <laughs> Alex Jones said he had had me on the air once before, several years ago, 
and had to cut me off the air because of the foul language that I used. So on the air tonight, I'm going to tell you, Alex Jones, you are a bold-faced, miserable, stinking little coward liar. Now let me say that again so there's no mistake about it. You can all tell Alex Jones that I said this. And I suspect he's listening because he does. Alex Jones, you are a bold-faced, stinking, rotten, little coward liar. I was only on the Alex Jones show one time. It was years ago when I didn't know who he was, when I didn't uh, realize what a liar and a coward and a sensationalist shit artist that he is. He was on one little FM station down in Texas. He wasn't on all the stuff that he's on now. I was not cut off. I did not use any kind of foul language whatsoever. He treated me very well, and I stayed on for the whole show. Some of you in Texas know that that's true because you heard the broadcast and you taped it. Later when I found out who Alex Jones was and what he was doing to the truth and how what a cowardly liar and sensationalist he really is, every time he called me after that, I have always refused to appear on his broadcast. Absolutely refused to lend him any credibility whatsoever. I've also revealed him for the lying sensationalist by every once in a while bringing to your attention the lies and the deceit and the rumors that he spreads over the airwaves that are not good for any of us. And they're not good for the nation. They are especially not good for militia and patriots. The most disgusting broadcast he ever did was on uh, New Year's Eve, the year 2000, the New Year's Eve 1999, bringing in the year 2000, in which he went completely out of his mind and claimed that Russia had launched intercontinental ballistic missiles with multiple warheads at the United States of America and actually panicked millions of people who were putting their children and their belongings in their cars and heading for the hill. Now, there's lots of things that can be said about me. Nobody needs to lie about me. Sometimes I am irritating. Sometimes I absolutely will not suffer fools and am just as rude as I can be. Nobody has to lie about me, Alex Jones. So I suggest that the next time somebody calls your broadcast and asks them about me, you tell the truth. There's lots of truth that you can tell about me. But don't ever lie on me, buddy, because I'll chop you off at your ankles. I will chew you up. I will spit you out for the lying, stinking, rotten little coward that you are. Oh, how I miss Ladies Bill Cooper. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful guy. Good My Lord. kind of guy. I mean, I'm the same way. I Oof. will not suffer fools gladly. And therefore, you know, I'm capable of stepping on a lot of toes. But frankly, life is too short to put up with bullshit. When people don't know what they're talking about or give phony arguments, I cut to the chase. I spent 35 years offering courses in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning, teaching my students fallacies to avoid. And when I find them committed, as I am in this lawsuit by the attorneys for Lenny Posner, up there begging the question, taking for granted that, of course, it was authentic, which naturally is their client's position. But the fact is, they're, they're out to suppress evidence. You know, they made a number of motions that are supposed to not allow me to provide all the indirect and circumstantial evidence that nobody died at Sandy Hook, which, of course, means that any uh, death certificate for an alleged decedent has to be a fabrication. I mean, I'm not letting them get away with it, but that's not for lack of trying. Understood. And hindsight 2020 here, going back to Alex, what is your personal stance now on one Alexander Jones? On Alex Jones? Correct. Well, 
I used to feel this way about Alex. He was a great place to start because he could get you thinking about subjects you otherwise might not, but he's a bad place to finish because he's really not uh, very intellectual. He doesn't have analytical reasoning ability to carry things through. It's very glib. He's very good at talking off the cuff. Uh, and he sounds better than, in fact, when you assess the quality of his reasoning. It, it doesn't really carry you very far. On the other hand, he's featured some excellent people. For example, Steve Pachenik is a very substantial guy. He's had on, of course, Jerry Corsi. I think Jerry Corsi is a good guy. He's occasionally had Roger Stone. Roger's a friend of mine. I, I, I you know, as I say, the, I mean, the simplest way to put it, good place to start, bad place to end. Yeah, I agree with you on that assessment. I find him entertaining at times, and he sort of lingers in a sea of inaccuracies at times, and I don't dislike him personally. I give him all the credit in the world for informing those out there who had never really took uh, some of these things for consideration. But long term, well, he kind of turned into something that I, I wasn't expecting even early on when I first heard of Alex way back in the early 2000s. Well, he 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 has become a caricature of himself. I mean, you know, there are all these stories about the I comedian Ball, Bill yeah. Hicks having been transformed into Alex Jones. I've never taken them particularly seriously, but I must say at this point in time, those might have been well-founded. I mean, by the end of this interview with this guy, Joe Reagan, I mean, he's just ridiculous. I mean, it's pathetic. He's not a, a person of any substance or of any intelligence. He's not even articulate by the end. I tell you, he's drunk. Well, there's uh, times where they're smoking uh, a cigar, but, you know, having firsthand experience with cigars and other things that you put in cigars, you don't exactly close your eyes that way when you're taking a drag. So I'm pretty sure they were smoking pot. Which well, is legal. Nothing pot. wrong with that. I think pot's wonderful. It ought to be legalized. The whole idea of, uh, you know, making a, uh, this, punishing a generation because it prefers to smoke their high rather than to drink it has been absurd. It's been very damaging to American society. You've taken no millions of law-abiding, otherwise law-abiding citizens and turned them into criminals. You take them out of the employment force where they were paying taxes into the institutionalized prisons where we're paying, I would guess, on the average, about $100,000 a year. So, I mean, look at the loss from the taxes they were providing to sustain the government from the resources they're consuming by being imprisoned for a victimless crime. Oh, I, yes. I, I had a whole course I taught one year about ethics in society where I used a book by a fellow named McWilliams entitled, uh, It Ain't... No, it ain't nobody's business if you do. Or talking about all sorts of things, aspects of your life where you ought to be perfectly free to do whatever the hell you want without government interference. The course turned out to be a sensation. I mean, it was a very unusual pick for the course text, but I made the most of it and got the students very involved. I mean, I find if you can connect what you're teaching with something they care about, they are going to learn like mad. And if you treat, keep it all abstract and sterile, no matter how important you may believe your subject, you're not going to succeed. And I have two more clips from Alex to play. Let's um, play this one here. This is when Alex is asked if he's a shill, and I'll get your opinion on that right now. 
A lot of people think you're a Zionist shill. You know that. That's the biggest one. That's the biggest one about Alex Jones. You know, I'll be honest with you. That's the biggest one. When you when you see conspiracies, when you see conspiracies against you that you know aren't true, doesn't that make you distrust conspiracies? Well, I told you that's the that's part of the, it. That's the evolution of you between you now and you. Yeah, like there's a lot ago. of stuff that's lies. Yeah. But then people that just say everything's BS, you got to check it. There's it's, a lot a, of that going on, right? Exactly. So let me try to answer Andy's question because your question is excellent as well. And the two go together. I, I mean, I grew up in Dallas, Texas in the 80s and 90s when it was like the murder capital of the country. I lived in a, a middle class area, but it was still. I'm just going to pause it there and quickly say that Alex never really answered the question if he was a Zionist show or not, Mr. Fetzer. <laughs> Continuing. Like, and, you know, I got in fight with rednecks. I, you know, I got in fight with, with racist Mexicans. There were racist white people attacking Mexicans. But I, I mean, I had you know, big black guys attacking me who like flunked three grades in school. And my black friends would say, man, you're so cool. You're not racist, even though, you know, my cousin who's 18 or if you're like 14 just attacked you. And, you know, that was all just part of a development. People do things. It, it doesn't care what, what color their skin on is or where they came from. There's good black people. There's bad black people. There's good white people. There's bad white people. There's good Mexicans. There's bad Mexicans. There's good Asians. There's bad Asians. There's good North Koreans. There's bad North Koreans. And I'm stating really simple stuff here. Everybody knows. But I'll go to a restaurant if they've got good food. I don't care if it's Ethiopian or if it's Mexican or if it's German. If the food's good and the people are nice, I love it. Like a women. Like I love black women. I love white women. I love Hispanic women. I love them all. <laughs> the point is, let's just say I'm, I'm super gay. But the point is what I'm getting, what I'm getting at here, though. Is, no, I don't like sweet. Yeah, see, that had nothing to do with what he was being asked. And that's kind of the way the rest of that was played out. He never once answered if he was a Zionist shill. You're taking yeah, that, Fetzer. It was a distraction. Sure, absolutely. That's right. That's just what you would expect of a Zionist shill. Exactly. And one more thing. And all, all his stuff about his uh, wife and all that. I, I think that's actually significant. Uh, I've heard several conjectures. He's had two wives that they were both Jewish and they may have been his handlers. So, you know, it can be on that order. I'm not making that affirmation. I'm saying I've heard Correct. those stories. We've heard that. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were true. Yes. And of course, this last clip is just for um, comical purposes. I thought this was kind of funny what he said when he was 16 years old, Jim. I'm not quite sure if you heard this clip or not. It's a good one, I promise. You're supposed to have children by 16 in every culture biologically. If you're not having them by 16, there's something wrong with you. Oh, but see, there's college, the priesthood you've got to get into. And then by then, oh, you got to make money because you're in debt. Oh, don't have time for kids. It's all, they wrote books about the 20s, how they do this. Don't have time for kids. You're trying to get out of debt. Oh, you're 40. You're finally halfway out of debt. Oh, you want to have some fun now. Oh, you try to find a woman. Oh, she's barren. She's doing the same thing. By the time you figure out you want to live, by the time you hit 16 at 40, I'm giving you the big knowledge here, folks. At 40, on average, and they did this by design, you are now the equivalent of a 16-year-old. When I was 16, I didn't want to party anymore. I didn't want to play games anymore. I grew up. I'd already been in the fights, all the big rituals. I'd already had probably, a, I hate to brag, so I'm not bragging. It's actually shameful. Probably 150 women or more. That's conservative. I'd had over 150 women. I'd already been in fights with full-grown men. I was already dating college girls by the time I was 15 years old. I was already a man at 16. Dating college women at 15. Why do I feel that that is Bravo Sierra? Well, it's his claim to fame. I mean, what was that all about? It, it was he's actually displaying uh, 
you know, an anti-intellectual attitude. In other words, he doesn't really respect academics, meaning it's compensating for the fact that he's clearly, I infer, not a college graduate. Did he even begin to study? I think maybe he spent a semester in college. Something like he, that, yeah. So he's uh, like a high school graduate who who made it big time. And I, I admire that. I think that's terrific, but that's not a reason to be denigrating of others who may have superior background, knowledge, and ability in areas in which he's weak, even though he pretends to be strong. I mean, some of these areas like Sandy Hook, 9-11, JFK, he really would have benefited from bringing in persons with a higher level of expertise than he himself possesses. Absolutely. To, if he wants to benefit his audience, if he has any role in educating them, I understand, by the way, that his program is uh, officially registered as entertainment. And of course, I think that's perfectly appropriate because it, it, it qualifies as entertainment and of a, and of a you know, mildly intellectually stimulating kind, which is why I say I give him credit for this. It's like the old uh, Geraldo Rivera show. He used to have this wonderful program where he dealt with all the fringe issues, and he'd bring in some really brilliant people to discuss it. I, I got truly hooked during the OJ trial because Geraldo would have these absolutely sensational programs every night with leading experts. I, I mean, Alan Dershowitz won among them. Uh, from many different areas, uh, and they would critique what was going on in the courtroom. But I, 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 I blew a whole sabbatical on the OJ trial. I was that's a, actually interesting that you bring up the OJ trial because I remember just being a little boy, and the teacher is bringing in uh, multiple television screen or TVs, rather TV sets, into the classroom just to watch the final verdict. That was a, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. Which must have been stunning because I mean. Look, I, I, I have studied O.J. extensively, and he clearly did it. Marsha mishandled the case, Marsha Clark. Her most important witness wasn't even put on the stand. This was a woman who had been an intersection between, between uh, the, the, the Coles home and O.J.'s home when a white Bronco had come out of the flashing into the intersection with no lights on. Yeah. So it nearly created a, tra a traffic jam, and the driver was yelling and screaming, get out of the way, get out of the way, and it was OJ. So here was OJ fleeing from the scene of the crime to get back to his home, and Marcia wouldn't put this witness that would have been decisive on the stand. Why? Because she sold her story to probably the National Enquirer for a couple thousand bucks was just a blunder. She mishandled the case. Then you had this brilliant guy who did the civil suit, and he presented it in a much more methodical and effective fashion. He got the civil judgment against O.J., but he evaded the criminal conviction. And, of course, he did have the so-called dream team, and, you know, there, there, there were some excellent attorneys on their side. Very excellent. Basically, you know, the, the, key av the key moment had to do with the gloves. I mean, these were gloves that were tight-fitting gloves. They fit skin tight, so they... They allowed for OJ to put them on, but insisted that he had to put latex gloves on first. So you're, you're they talking knew about certainty he wouldn't be able to put the gloves on because they were skin tight, and with a latex, it was impossible. Yes. So then we got the slogan: if 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 <laughs> if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. But it was right. all manufactured. Johnny Cochran did a great job. Johnny Cochran, many. legendary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good guy. Good I can't guy. believe good he. Attorney, but... I can't believe he pulled it off, though. I mean, goddamn. Well, well, the jurors. Listen, the, the jury was very incompetent. It appears that they believe that if uh, 
uh, a witness had anything wrong, if 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 the prosecution had one bad witness, you could discount the whole prosecution case. They brought in the limo driver who was very patient and explained the timeline and all that. They apparently found something flawed with a driver, but I, I guarantee you. Uh, the jury didn't understand the case. It's it's very unfortunate, but it was a good thing that when it was retried as a civil yeah. case, that they had a competent jury. No doubt. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Yeah. Interesting time in, in history, right? Oh, yeah. My absolutely, God. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> now, now, Jim, I thought it is only appropriate that we tackle some of the latest and current news. And uh, on a side note here, though, as you may or may not know, Jim, I've received quite the backlash of criticism uh, for my personal stance on Michael Jackson, and I did see the Leaving Neverland Ranch documentary, and it was uncomfortable. I'm not quite sure if you saw that yet, Jim. I have not, but Michael Jackson was a very strange person, and he had a predilection for children that was certainly disturbing. And that Michael Jackson may have been a pedophile is not beyond the realm of imagination whatsoever. So, you know, whatever your take, I, I, I regard you as a very thoughtful person, Michael. You know more about this case than do I. So I welcome hearing your take on Michael Jackson. No doubt. I have seen uh, the personal take from different individuals out there, and I've seen the cognitive, this... Um, Confirmation biasness, rather. And I've seen this from his supporters. This confirmation biasness from his supporters, the excuses, the pandering. It's always been pretty annoying. Just oh, you mean to excuse him from the charge correct. of being a pedophile? Yeah, because he was this musical genius and yeah. his lack of childhood. But all yeah. these things does not excuse yeah. these pedophile actions. Or no, he could be a pedophile and a musical genius at the same time, and I would not be surprised if, that that should be the case. That that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, his behavior in having children. See, I've seen some of these reports um, in relation to the, the documentary, which I have not seen. Of a couple of these kids who said how they take baths together, they right. sleep in the same bed together, and they both felt they had been abused. And I, I'm certainly not in a position to dispute it. Right. I mean, why should we be surprised? Look, that Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Shermer, Hillary Clinton, Huma Abedin, and a whole host of others, I'm without any doubt convinced are pedophiles themselves. So Michael Jackson, you know. What's more astonishing is that some of the political elite in the United States would get this. I did an interview with a, a New York City Gold Shield detective uh, who had uh, 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 Jim Rothstein, who had cracked many pedophile cases. And when it, the first broke the news it was uh, coming out of the NYPD when they took possession of Anthony Weiner's laptop. Mm -hmm. It was just so sordid, so awful, so dreadful. Uh, uh, experienced tough cops were brought to tears by what they saw uh, in the videotapes that Anthony Weiner had preserved on his laptop. So I, oh, no. I did an interview with Jim Rothstein, and I said, you know, Jim, here, here are some of the reports we're getting from the NYPD. Does any of this surprise you? And he said, no, not at all, because based upon his experience, 70% of the American political elite is engaged in pedophilia, 70%. Yeah, you never want to see one of these politicians leaving a hotel with a young child by their side. <laughs> but yeah, the confirmation biasness from his supporters, like I said, 
has been really annoying. What 30-year-old man? It's really really confirmation bias, which, of course, is equivalent to the fallacy known as special pleading, which is to only present the evidence favorable to your case and ignore the rest. It can also be called the method of selection and elimination. Select the evidence that supports your hypothesis and eliminate the rest. Affirmative. What you're really talking about is a psychological phenomenon known as cognitive dissonance, whereby a person presented with information that contradicts deeply held beliefs will deny, 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 repress. There's a case of a woman who confronted with evidence that her husband had been molesting their daughter did nothing about it until years later when the truth came out. She was uh, uh, helpless to explain why she was unable to cope with it. But the reason is this fairly familiar phenomenon now. It really Cognitive is. Dissonance. Cognitive it's got dissonance. It's a lot to do with why people still want to believe the official story of 9-11, even though it's complete nonsense. Or, Another great or example. Even the Holocaust or that Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK, which is... Turns out to be as absurd as it comes because we've been able to prove again and again that Lee was actually standing in the doorway when the motorcade passed by. So he not only cannot have been the lone demented shooter, he cannot have even been one of the gunmen where I've identified six or appear to be eight. I believe I know the identity of the seventh, but not of the eighth. So, you know, I mean, I've done a huge amount on JFK as well. I I have actually four books on JFK. And to wrap this up with Michael Jackson, I just want to quickly say... The parents had zero shame, along with Michael Jackson. Truly a sick, sad world we live in, Jim. Well, you had the Jackson Five, and, you know, the parents, particularly the father, appears to be a real, you know... Right. Real piece of work. Showbiz-minded, you know, wanted to exploit the kids. Uh, I mean, they made terrific musical contributions. They were wonderful entertainers, but there's a, a sordid backstory here. Yeah, that, that, that Joe Jackson, it was like hearing this going off in the living room. Uh, the sound of boxing mitts hitting a heavy bag, the way he used to beat his children, even the girls. That's really, that's really terrible. It really I, is. But that's sorry, that's what he to used to that. do, that, that Joe Jackson, he was a terrible man. The way he did that to his, his kids, it's awful. And of course, yeah. mm-hmm. now to put an end to that, going back to the current political issues that we face, Michael Cohen has been in the media again this time said some pretty damning things about Donald J. Trump. Let's let's play that audio really quickly here. Sure. To take part in concealing Mr. Trump's illicit acts rather than listening to my own conscience. I am ashamed because I know what Mr. Trump is. He is a racist, he is a con man, and he is a cheat. He's a racist now. Well, this is a deal. The, the, they now know that the Mueller report is... It's a dry hole. It's an empty well. They've come up with nothing. The whole thing was was contrived by Hillary and the DNC to explain her loss. When even Michael Moore, I mean, an extreme left-wing enthusiast, was predicting Hillary was going to lose because she was neglecting the Rust Belt states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. She, I reside here in Wisconsin. Hillary didn't come to Wisconsin once, not once. And it turned out that studies by Boston University and the University of Minnesota have concluded that the reason she lost is that voters in rural counties in those four states, which had suffered many casualties from the wars in the Middle East, judged the Donald, not with certainty, but the more likely to discontinue the wars, the less likely to continue them, and thereby 
the whole election was turned. Yes, hold that thought, because we're going to bring something up here in a moment. And of course, Paul Manafort sentenced to 47 months in prison for fraud and tax evasion. What's your thought? Yeah, there's so much we hear about Manafort as total pockycock. I mean, to this day, they're still talking about the Russia hoax when there was no Russia collusion. And and Manafort, they talk about the Poles sharing Poles with the Russians. Well, he wasn't sharing them with the Russians. He was sharing them with the Ukrainians. He was doing business in Ukraine. So you find the mainstream media is just, you know, head over heels and, and infatuated with propaganda and disinformation. And I'm telling you, it's insane. The, the, 90% of what you hear on, say, CNN or MSNBC is just not true. It's fake news. And now you have the Democrats even saying they're going to go after Trump for for calling the media out as fake news. But Trump's right. 100% right. If that had been all Donald Trump had done for the American people to expose that the mainstream media is primarily an organ of propaganda, that he would go down as a great president, in my opinion, because that's such an important contribution. Just as this dear woman, Omar, oh, yes. this petite little representative from Minnesota is now in my pantheon of heroes, along with JFK and RFK and Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell, four of my all-time greats. I'm telling you, this woman is deserving of our admiration and appreciation. And uh, to make things clear, Jim, myself and you aren't anti-Semitic. I know you don't have any hate in your heart, Jim. I just wanted to make that perfectly clear for those out there who are just tuning in randomly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, We're talking no, about no. a I different... Mean, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. I've had Jewish friends, my closest friend in college. Yeah. Mike, Mike Bortman was Jewish. And I mean, you know, I, I still feel tremendous affection for him. I've never actually, in my whole life, it wasn't until, I think, uh, 2008... And I was born in 1940. 2008, I gave my first political speech at a Ron Paul Freedom Rally. Oh, wow. Held on the grass outside the Capitol on April 15th, a speech that would be subsequently published as 9-11 and the neocon agenda, in which, I, in which I explained how many in the uh, Project for a New American Century had moved into the Department of Defense were dual U.S.-Israeli citizens. And the, the, the theme of my talk was that no one who is a dual citizen ought to be in a policy-shaping or decision-making position because you cannot know that their loyalty to the other state doesn't outweigh their loyalty to the United States. Now, this is basically what Omar was saying herself, uh, you know, suggesting that those who put Israel first are putting America second, and she's 100% correct about that. Oh, no doubt. And the, and the history of the Israeli lobby, APAC, on the Congress is absolutely stunning. In fact, you'll find in this uh, in this two-hour overview I give about this whole issue, you can find on 153news.net. I end with Cynthia McKinney doing this interview with uh, Marshi Hashimi, oddly enough, the very woman who was arrested on the material witness warrant. And, and interrogated about the New Horizons conferences in, in Iran, where I myself have attended one. And Cynthia is explaining about the pledge, how, how candidates were asked to give a pledge that they would put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States, and how she had been approached uh, you know, to get money raisers, because you need money if you're going to run for Congress, and it was all set, and then she was asked that she signed the pledge, and she admitted no. And, and poof, poof, all of her 
prospects of having money just disappeared. Where she explained, now they've changed it. You, you don't. You have to write a paragraph declaring your allegiance to Israel, and you have to put it up on a website. Yeah, she refused <laughs> to sign it. Stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 about two years ago, a colleague of mine in JFK Research. Uh, asked me, did I know how many members of the present Congress had not signed the pledge? And I said, no, I didn't. And he put up one finger of one hand, one member that then present Congress had not signed the pledge. Amazing. So she's in this wonderful thing, this wonderful thing, this very petite, I'm going to say lovely. I mean, she's very nice looking. Yeah, very nice woman. She's always wearing a headdress and all that. She's obviously very modest. She just has, she has, I said this of her, now, two or three times, she has more balls than any, any anyone else <laughs> well, in Congress. Well, that's true. And I just want to quickly preface uh, <laughs> Cynthia McKinney really quickly. She refused to sign, and basically that's when she was exiled. Well, uh, she actually was able to overcome. She served six or eight terms in the House. But even as notable, a, a member of Congress as Dennis Kucinich was not. He he found that his district had been redrawn. That, that was the way they did it. They would put up a well-financed alternative candidate next time around, or if a census had occurred and they were redrawing districts, you'd find you no longer had a seat, because then each found he no longer had a seat. I, I Where I'm sitting now, I'm looking into my library, and I have a very large color photograph from the University of Minnesota Duluth, where Dennis Kucinich came up into the audience, and I was right Beneath him, looking up at him, when a radio host who had me on the air took this wonderful photograph of me looking up at Dennis Kucinich, which I have there right in my library now. He was, in my judgment, the smartest member of Congress, and yet he lost his seat. Oh, yes, that's terrible. And moving forward here, since we are almost running out of time here, but we still have a few things to cover. Uh, Now, this brings me to the 2020 election. I've echoed this question to a few people here that... uh, come on the program i'm curious what you think who can actually take the proverbial fight to donald j trump well there's so many ironies here we all know about the jesse smollett hoax jesse oh, yes. was campaigning with uh kamala harris, harris right appears to be contrived kamala harris and cory booker were pushing an anti-lynching law they wanted to get a little extra boost the Jesse Smollett hoax in Chicago, which is outrageous in so many ways, appears to have given that little extra boost. By the way, as an aside, I'm convinced that it also affected the Academy Awards, because in my opinion, there's no question but what Bohemian Rhapsody was the best picture of the year. And because of this Jesse Smollett thing, which was occurred at the time that Hollywood was voting on the Oscars, uh, enough members shifted their vote to this Green Door movie I haven't seen, but which Spike Jones panned as, you know, uh, it, it's like uh, driving this daisy uh, in reverse. I guess you got a white driver driving the black person. I mean, it, it sounds really pretty shabby, pretty shallow, pretty superficial. And that was Spike Jones' opinion, too, so don't just take my word for it. Understood. The fact yes. is, Bohemian Rhapsody is that magnificent film. It's a great movie. And it, yeah, it was the odds-on to win it. It didn't get Best Actor, which was good, and several other. It was up for five and won four. But I'm convinced that because of the Jesse Smollett hoax, that, that it went down to this movie that was supposed to be about civil rights. Now, I don't think uh, Kamala... Boffed her way to prominence in California. She had an affair with Willie Brown, who was easily the most powerful politician in California at the time. He was 60. She was 
She was 30, and uh, he made her, gave her several prominent appointments. She became attorney general. Uh, she's, she's, she's very feeble intellectually. She's not a substantial person. I've seen several of these interviews she's done. And it's like she's a high school kid. She, she'd make a great prom queen. She might be fun to date, but I don't sure. regard her as a serious candidate. Elizabeth Warren, of course, shot herself in both feet with all the DNA studies. Turns out while she claimed she had never used her alleged American Indian heritage to her benefit professionally, she actually had. And indeed, Harvard had announced she was the first woman of color on the faculty. She's not going to go anywhere either. Uh, you go down the list. Some of the others are just absolute flyweights. This Kristen Gellibrand, every time I I hear her speak, as I did this afternoon, I cannot believe she has a brain the size of a pea. Yeah, she would get wrecked. No this doubt. is a woman of no substance whatsoever. Kamala Harris looks like an Einstein compared to her. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. So what are they going to fall back on? Well, you got Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Creepy Joe Biden. Yeah, get this. But of course, those who have been paying attention know that there's a video of Joe Biden in the Oval Office where he's standing Oh, God. Don't remind me. A young woman, and he leans over and he says, and it was caught on the video. Oh, Lord. Do you have any idea how horny it makes me to be standing next to a 13-year-old girl? Jesus. That's Joe Biden. That creepy Joe. Creepy Joe. And then you have the most admired woman in America. Would you believe Barack Obama and Michelle have been voted the most admired man and woman in America. So the most admired woman in America is a man with breast implants. The Kenyan president. The Kenyan president. But Michelle is a man with breast implants. I mean, you know, look, if she wants to run for president, meaning he, that's fine. But tell the public, level with the public. I mean, he's gay. They're, they're, they're a, a, a gay couple. They can't, two men obviously can't have children. It turns out the kids were borrowed. And when you figure, discover who their actual parents are, the older girl looks just like her father, the younger just like her mother. We have a report from the one-time physician for, for Michelle who walked in on her when she was taking a leak standing up. Oh, my God. They paid, they paid him millions of dollars for his silence, but he felt he could no longer keep silent. Uh, we have photographs of her sporting a beard because, you know, her husband's no longer president. In fact, he described her, uh, He just, the physician described her as a man with uh, breast implants and, a, and an incredible shaving bill. So Michelle is not Big Mama Michelle. That's a, that's a man. That's a man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of us, you know, I, I, I have followed this for a very long time. I mean, there are quite a few photographs where uh, she's coming off a plane, for example, and the wind blows her skirt up against her body. And you can see that she has a package that most women do not have. When she was on the Ellen DeGeneres show dancing, you could see her package was swinging in the breeze. I mean, it's just outrageous. The plan has been to let these mediocre candidates sort of wrestle among themselves and to bring out Michelle as the savior to the Democratic Party. But I'm telling you, I'm not remaining silent. I brought it up several times. This is I'm bringing it up now. The American sure. people deserve to know the truth. In fact, for crying out loud, Barack Obama had a torrid affair with Rahm Emanuel before he became president of the United States. They were notorious in the Chicago uh, bathhouse scene. Notorious. Oh my goodness. And oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. And going back to the Democratic Party, 
in all honesty, I, I seriously would never even contemplate that someone like a Chris Christie would ever run for president or even be elected. I mean, no one from New Jersey will ever become president, in my personal opinion. Yeah, but remember, Chris, Christie's a, a, a Republican. Right? Yeah, he's a Republican, but I'm just saying... He's actually, he actually turns out to be a pretty smart guy. I mean, the Donald, I think, would have got more from Chris Christie than he has from Rudy Giuliani. The problem being Rudy was tainted by 9-11. Rudy was deeply involved in 9-11. That's why he didn't go to his own command and control center. That was the day they were going to have the mayoral vote in uh, New York City. He wanted to try to parlay that into a third term as mayor. I mean, he didn't make it for good reason. But to have Rudy Giuliani as your spokesman, that's just a, a huge mistake. Big mistake. Donald, on the other hand, was uh, interviewed virtually immediately in New York City and explained how that the same builders who constructed the World Trade Center were working for him now, that planes could not have done this, that something else had to be involved. He even used the word bombs. And that's right. I mean, it was a very sophisticated uh, operation involving very sophisticated explosives. And uh, that was why many of us believed when he became president, he might be a 9-11 truth president, but he hasn't panned out. And you know, now the guy chasing after him is the man who covered up 9-11, who was also the head of the FBI at Sandy Hook and only left after the Boston bombing. If you want to have your mind blown, just check out the book, and nobody died in Boston either, from moonrockbooks.com, where we carry you from beginning to end all the way through the trial. Completely outrageous. It's a great book, by the way, for those who have not picked up any of the books that Jim has put out. He really does do a fantastic job. But yes, going back to the potential candidates here. Kamala Harris, I think she, she would have a pretty good shot uh, at it, but ultimately, I don't know if she would be able to trump the Don. Now, you may not, laugh. Not, not a chance. And look, yeah. look, I've got a good friend who graduated with a degree in mathematics from the UW-Madison. He's excellent in polls and all that. He has downgraded her prospects because she's five foot two. So you're going to put her on a stage next to Donald, who's what, 6'1"? Yeah, I mean, she's guy. going to look like a shrimp, and she's a mental midget. I mean, I'm telling you, listening to her talk, uh, I will say this. They seem to have wanted to pre-designate Kamala Harris as the candidate, you know, in advance. Just we all knew Hillary was coronated in advance. But mm -hmm. I think Kamala has seriously tarnished herself. This stuff about... Jesse Smollett is going to be a very heavy anchor dragging her down because, frankly, I have no doubt at all she was complicit in that scam. Aren't there photos? Aren't there photos of Jesse Smollett and her together? Sure, he was campaigning for her. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it was a brilliant series of tweets by a, a fellow. Let's see, Nakid as Keish. What's his name? I'll, I'll pull up the name here. He did a series I, yeah. of seven tweets exposing. I have the name. I have his name in my. Yeah, I have his name in my head, but I can't. Forgot how. What it is exactly? I've got it right here. Here it is. Tariq. T a r i k. He said he did seven tweets and took the whole thing apart. And believe me, you know, if she becomes the pre the nominee, I mean, she's going to be gutted from stem to stern. No doubt. The fact yeah. that she has these sexual relationships with Willie Brown from which he benefited, you know, politically, that, that's going to be a, an albatross around her neck. Yeah, during, the, during the, the debate with Donald, I'm sure she would get destroyed. Oh, I think so. I think so. She, she, she doesn't have them. 
She doesn't have a good mind. I mean, she's benefited. She's a nice looking. I mean, she looks sure. great. I'd vote for her for prom queen. Uh -huh. But yes. the president of the United States, give me a break. Different he's issue. About, he's about as viable as Michelle for very different reasons. Now, you may laugh at me for this one, Jim, but in all honesty, if a Kim Kardashian were to announce that she would run for president, I could confidently say she would probably win. <laughs> as as humorous as that is, best, the nation the nation would actually vote for her. Isn't that embarrassingly it bad? Is. It's, it's well, we'll so see what sad. happens. But look, the Democrats now have a major problem with identity politics. Identity politics, fact, correct. A brilliant study about it, uh, about how it pits one faction against another because they all want to make out that they're the ones who are the most prejudiced against, who've suffered the most, who are the deepest victims. So you get the, the, the blacks pitted against the Jews, pitted against the gays and all that. And it actually turns out to be highly divisive. This is another issue that I addressed in the video I have now on 153news.net that I highly recommend. If you want to understand what's going on here, I talk about a whole lot of issues. Bofor, Jim Fetzer, The Raw Deal, 3719, and that's actually the wrong date, but it's up there with the wrong date because actually I went from uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday to Wednesday, Friday. It was my first Wednesday, so it's actually the 6th. But just look for a Muslim congresswoman stands up to APAC, and you'll find it, the raw deal. I recommend it. It's one of my best. When I, it's comparable to the Russia hoax comes apart at the scenes. Those are two. If you want to understand what's going on in America today, watch those two videos. You won't be disappointed. Someone in the chat room, I believe it was Gang of Four in the chat, he says, AOC can eat apples through a chain link fence. <laughs> well, what's your opinion she's, on she's very she's very yes. amusing she's very amusing uh, i mean she has great certitude but a tremendous lack of knowledge and understanding the solar the green energy sources can't possibly keep the economy going it would have taken a, a solar panel of 70 square feet to run a tractor and you know you're gonna have to wait when it's not a, a rainy or a foggy day for your tv to work she wants to do away with airplane flights within 10 years look i like her i think she's delightful i think i like her too that donald would like to run against more than someone of her ilk but you know it's not going to happen i like her but yeah i like no doubt political suicide it would be and i like her i i did like some of her plans but they you know i through for you know an idea it made sense but actually executing it we don't exactly have that sort of technology to actually make well, this happen yeah, it's, a nice, it's a nice idea it's a nice idea yeah. up too fast so you know bernie's got an outside chance but he's getting pretty old i do like bernie i like bernie too made a great candidate i think bernie could have beat donald trump but it was foreordained that hillary would be the candidate so they they wiped bernie out Michael, I can't thank you enough for having me on. Yes, again. I Jim. really enjoy our conversation. No doubt. And before I cut you loose, though, I, I did want to ask you really quickly about uh, Freddie Mercury and this video of his called The Last Days of Freddie Mercury. I'm not quite sure if you ever came across it on YouTube, but it, it basically highlights his last days on Earth, basically. And I never had actually seen that until much later on. And it was difficult for me to even watch him in that state. Uh, when you know he was dying of well, AIDS. He died from AIDS yeah. yeah, man. I have seen uh, heavy stuff. I think it was very heavily made up. But I mean, you know, we now may have a breakthrough with AIDS with this bone marrow transplant that seems to make it possible to cope. They've got someone who's been cured of AIDS actually by bone transplant. 
Freddie Mercury was a brilliant, creative musician. He struggled uh, uh, tremendously with his sexual identity. The film, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend Bohemian Rhapsody. Absolutely fantastic. No doubt. Jim, I want to thank you tremendously for being here tonight. I thought this was yet again another classic episode. I always get the most highest praises from my listeners and your listeners each time we do a show together. People are always wondering, when will Jim be back? You still remain as the most demanded guest on this program. Well, Michael, I really like you. I like your manner. I think you're a tremendous host, and I've enjoyed every single show we've done, and I look forward to many more in the future. Amazing. Now, Jim, before I cut you loose, I certainly want to give you the final word. So if you have anything on your mind, anything that you want to get off your chest, go for it now, my friend. Oh, just just check out, go to moonrockbooks.com, regard that as your conspiracy catalog. We believe the American people deserve to know the truth about their own history. And if you want to know my latest, check out my blog at jamesfetzer.org. Yes, that, of course, is the sound of Jim Fetzer's voice. Find his books over at moonrockbooks.com and jimfetzer.org. I want to thank you again tremendously, Jim. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I look forward to the next one, my friend. So do I. So do I, Michael. Absolutely a pleasure. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jim. Talk to you soon. All right. God bless. Bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was James H. Fetzer. James Henry Fetzer, I believe. And before we take it home, much respect to our international listeners out there from Germany, the UK, Spain, Brazil, and Canada. I would also like to thank Deprogrammed Radio and also the Fringe FM. I also see you guys in the chat room there. I hope all of you guys are doing well tonight. I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night everybody.